Today, uh, I want to speak to you specifically about this man named Caleb, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will uh, inherit it. Let me quickly tell you the story that leads up to God really saying that. And, that, and that's what that is, is it's God speaking in that way about this man named Caleb. This section of scripture comes after an event in the Bible called the Exodus. And uh, there's an entire book of the Bible called Exodus, and it tells the story um, of a million or so Jewish people that exited out of slavery in Egypt. And you've heard of Moses and maybe uh, the Ten Commandments and all of those types of things. That's the story of the Exodus. God's people, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, those are all kind of the same phrase, had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they had multiplied like crazy during that time uh, in Egypt. And, and Pharaoh said, wow, these people are just getting too big. They, we've got to do something. And so he puts all this harsh stuff on them, uh, horrible conditions. Their life is about being slaves seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's not a good thing. These people cry out to God for help. And the story says that God heard their cry. And God raises up this man named Moses. It's crazy. He, there's a bush that's on fire and it's not burning up. And God speaks out of this fire to Moses and says, I want you to go to my people. And Moses shows up at Pharaoh's doorstep and says, Pharaoh, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know what you're smoking, Moses, but I really like having free labor around here. We're getting a lot done. The answer is no. That's what Pharaoh said. You can read it. Okay. Um, then God begins to send these plagues, these 10 plagues, one after another, destroys the nation of Egypt, one little thing at a time. Um, and finally, Pharaoh just says, get out of here. And he sends these people out. So a million slaves, a million slaves, men, women, children, they walk out of the nation of Egypt free. Sounds amazing, but what do they do now? They have no homes. They have no gardens, they have no stuff, like they are walking around the wilderness free, but they, it's, it's like, and, and God begins to supernaturally take care of these people and do incredible things, and, and he feeds them uh, as uh, bread kind of falls from the sky, the word is manna, and the water gets brought out of a rock, and there's all these supernatural things and all this, but God, God tells Moses, he says, I have a special place for you set aside for you and all of you to settle in a promised land. That's a phrase that it uses that will be for you and your people and your ancestors and let me lead you there. And God leads them through the wilderness supernaturally to this place and, and finally they arrive and they're right outside this promised land, this land that God has promised for them and they're waiting to go in. And God tells Moses, I want you to pick 12 guys, 12 men. I want you to send them into this land that I've promised for you as spies. Have them come back and give a report and say, is the land fruitful? And what's it like? And all this. And what about the people that are living in the land right now? What are they like? And all this type of stuff. So these 12 spies, they were supposed to do that. And they go out and Caleb is one of those 12. 
He's one of the 12 spies. Let me read to you what happens next. This is Numbers chapter 13, a little before what we read earlier, verse 26. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They actually, they, they took, the, in the story, there's like these grapes that are as big as grapefruits. And there's clusters of them. And, and in the Bible, they, t- they took a bunch of the grapes and they had two people had to carry the grapes. They were so big. And so they show up. And that's what it says. They show them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Which is just like, that's, some of you are like, that's kind of weird. Okay, what does that even mean? It's, it's just this God way of saying it's incredibly fruitful and amazing. Uh, and, and it says, the land is amazing, verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and large. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Okay, these 12 spies go out, follow me here, and they come back with this report. They say the land is incredible. Look at the size of this grape. It's as big as my head. You know, and they're like, this is incredible. Milk and honey, and it's amazing, and all this type of stuff. And then they say, but the people that are living there right now, they're like stinking giants. Their cities are fortified with walls, and they are military amazingness, and all this type of stuff. They will smush us if we go in there is what they say. But then Caleb stands up and he says, we should go. We can take this land. This is the land God has promised us. And the very next chapter, we see the report being spread throughout all of the people. And the people begin to raise their voices and grumble against God and grumble against the leadership. And they're saying things like, we should have never left Egypt. We were better off as slaves. At least we had a place to sleep and we had food to eat. We should have stayed there. Now we're going to die. And they're all whiny and complaining like this. And two people then speak up in the middle of this, Joshua and and our boy Caleb. And they begin to say, God is in control. God's got this. Have we not seen him do miracle after miracle again and again? And they stand up and they say, we should go. And the story says that people try to kill him. Then God speaks to Moses and God is angry with the people for their lack of faith, for how quickly they seem to have turned their back and all this stuff. These people just witnessed God do supernatural things, save them from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea miraculously and they walked through on dry ground. All of that type of food from heaven, water from a rock, miracle after miracle. All of that leads us to what we started with. Numbers 14, the Lord replied, he's talking to Moses now. God is speaking to the leader, Moses. I have forgiven them. He's talking about the people. As you, as you asked, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised. 
on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, these people will now wander around the wilderness for the next 40 years as that generation of people dies off and those people do not see, they do not see this promised land that God had for them except for Caleb. Because Caleb had a different spirit and followed God wholeheartedly, he lives to see the land that God had promised. And not only does this impact Caleb personally, it impacts his descendants from then on in as well. And so the question that I just want to ask and kind of talk through here quickly is, what was it about this man, Caleb? What was it about him? Now let me give you a few things quickly. First, we're just going to take, and we're just going to take this like verse right here, and we're going to pick it apart. First, notice when God speaks about Caleb, he uses the word servant. It's an interesting thing. My servant Caleb, because my servant Caleb, this word servant, interesting word, the book of Numbers was written in Hebrew, kind of the ancient Hebrew language, Um, and this specific word that we have translated into English as servant, it's a very common Hebrew word. In fact, it shows up like 700 and some times in the Old Testament alone, which is the part of the Bible before Jesus comes. And this word is translated a few different ways. The most common is this word servant, but the second most common of this word is actually the word slave. Slave, it's interesting. In fact, listen to how this word is defined biblical definition of this, a person who is legally owned by someone else and whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. It's an interesting definition, this word servant, a person whose purpose, whose livelihood, who everything they are and everything that they have was determined by their master. Now in the context of this verse, in the context of what God is saying about Caleb here, we're talking about a man who from God's perspective, this is a man who his entire purpose, his entire livelihood, his entire everything was like wrapped up in his master. And obviously the master here is God. In this, his life is about God in every way and all of this. Now, we, we see this language in the New Testament as well. Let me show you like four of them fast, really fast. Romans chapter one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, is that word, slave, everything. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and the apostle of Jesus. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. When God speaks of this man named Caleb, God uses the word servant. That's interesting. The second thing we read about is what God says about Caleb. He had a different spirit. It's interesting. My servant Caleb who has a different spirit. Now, first of all, let me be clear about this. I think this is kind of obvious, but this is not like an actual spirit that he has. This is not like the Holy Spirit or something like this. When it talks about like a different spirit, it's as, it's as simple as there is something different about this man. In comparison to all the people around him, there is something different about him. And God is kind of saying, when I look at these people, when I look at all these people who love me, by the way, uh, and I look at Caleb, there is a difference here. There's something about Caleb. And we see this play out in a very practical way 
as Caleb brings a different report, right? 12 go in, massive majority all come out saying the same stuff. Love the grapes. People are scary, okay? That's what they come in. They come out saying that. The news spread. The people are all saying the same thing. Everyone is thinking the same. And, th- and then there's Caleb who sees the same thing as everybody else. He was there in the same way and saw the same stuff, yet Yet Caleb looked at the same things, but he saw something different. Did you catch that? Like when they all, the 12 spies go in, they all saw everything together. But something about Caleb causes him to see something different, and he comes back, and two different times in the story, we see Caleb speak up against what everybody else is thinking. A few years ago, I was at, I was at a Timberwolves game, like basketball, if you don't know what that is, okay? And... Uh, and at the end of the game, the, the Target Center is kind of like a small place. It's not like the Metrodome or the Target Field where it's so big. The Target Center is smaller. And so as soon as the game is over, everybody leaves at the same time. And you get out into the little hallway, and maybe you've done this before, but everyone all together is going the same exact direction. And you all do this little shuffle walk. Okay, because you're all like, you're squished completely. And I remember like, I, I walk out and I'm doing the shuffle walk and, and different things with everybody else. And I think like, man, I got like hour and a half, two hour drive home here. I should, I should use the bathroom before I go. And I look and the bathroom's like 50 feet behind me. And so we're all going like this. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do that. And so I turn around and I'm going, oh, wow. You know, and I'm, and I'm trying to make my way 50 feet. Everybody is going like this and I'm going that way. Uh, and you can feel that. Okay, this is Caleb in this story. Everybody is going like this. Everybody together is saying this. Uh, a million people, as the word is spread, all saying the same thing. And then you got this one dude here, and they want to kill him for it, by the way. And Joshua's in this as well, so there's actually kind of two of them. But Caleb's the one that we see more. Okay? And, and the, we have this guy going the opposite direction in this way. It's, it's incredible. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many th- enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Can I just say, like, we should not be, we should be more afraid of being the same as everybody else than being different. If our lives begin to feel and look like everyone else around us, scripturally, that's a warning. And here we see this. Uh, Proverbs 14, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death Uh, Romans 12, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Like we could go all over the place. And listen, it's not about being perfect. Nobody is perfect. Caleb was not perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Caleb had a different spirit. And, And what was it that made him different? He followed God wholeheartedly. He followed God wholeheartedly. The word wholeheartedly contains this idea of full or fully is kind of the root of this word. Uh, and specifically, specifically this, 
This word wholeheartedly comes up in the Old Testament when talking about the priests often. And the priests were given like all these instructions of how to handle different things and all this stuff. And a priest that did things the right way, fully obeyed everything that God was saying, that's the word that they would use wholeheartedly. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, let's... Let's put this all together. Great story about Caleb. What a cool guy. So great that he stood up when no one else did. Let me just kind of, I'm going to put my notes away. Music team, will you come? And for three minutes here, I just want to kind of speak to you from my heart on this. What drew me, what drew me to this passage of scripture partly was because we see this man named Caleb seem to do something so different and so amazing. Partly though, It's because everybody else wasn't. And the crazy thing about this story, this is not like like we have some followers of God and then we have tons of people who are not followers of God. This is God's chosen people. These are the Israelites. These are people who worship God. These are people who care deeply about God. These are people who have seen God again and again do miraculous things in their lives and in their situations over and over and over again. They were standing there when God spoke and the Red Sea went. They're standing and watching it. And they walk across the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground as God supernaturally saves them from the army of Egyptians that are coming behind them. These are people who said, God, we don't have any food. And the next morning they show up, they they get out of bed and there is literally bread flakes falling from the sky and they eat it. These are people who say, we don't have fresh water. And all of a sudden this rock, like water starts coming out of a rock. This is who these people are. And yet, a few years into this, a few years after seeing God move again and again and again, all of the sudden, instead of faith rising up, they are now defined by fear and negativity. Fear and negativity. Go ahead and put that slide up. I want to see that verse on the bottom again. There's, I'm pretty sure there's a slide, but maybe there's not. There it is, okay? But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. Fear. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. They begin to be negative, fearful followers of God. And in our culture that calls itself Christian. And I know we can say our, our, our government's going whatever and America's not what it used to be and we like to say these types of things and, and okay, and there's a lot of truth to a lot of this stuff. In central Minnesota, we still live in a religious Christian culture. If you go around and ask people, are you a Christian? Even people who don't ever step their foot in the church are gonna say, I'm a Christian. I mean, for the most part, this is who we are, a cultural Christianity. And I'm just telling you, cultural Christianity does not lead to wholehearted followers of Jesus. There is something different here. There is something deeper. And the challenge for us today is to look internally and say, 
What is my life really about? Is my life about making money and providing for my family and living all this stuff and then I do the church thing when I have time? Or is God oozing out of every area and every part of who I am? Wholeheartedly, a servant, a slave, my very purpose is, is, is wrapped up in my master. Will you stand with me all over this place? When I look around our culture, there's no question that the body of Christ and the church as a whole also seems to be defined by fear instead of faith and negativity everywhere we look. As we are quick to be harsh and critical and negative about everything all the time and God is asking and looking for people to be the body of Christ and to stand up in faith and say, I'm gonna follow my God no matter what he says, no matter what that looks like. And for just a moment as we sing together, I want this just to be a time of reflection and a time of internal thinking for a moment and asking ourselves the question, what is my, what is my relationship with God like? Would, would my life be described as wholeheartedly following God? Would my life be described as a servant of God? God, we celebrate today with those who have stood up in front of us and declared to the world that they are following Jesus. We are so grateful for what you do and what you are doing in lives and how you love us, how you sent your son to die so that we could be free and forgiven. It's unbelievable, God. And we take that for granted. But God, in this moment right here, we, we truly just say thank you for what you have done. And God, I pray, we pray, that we would not just be cultural versions of Christianity and all of that, but Lord, that we would truly hunger and thirst for something deeper, that we truly would move towards wholeheartedly following you every step of this journey. God, we know we will never be perfect, but God, I pray that the direction of our lives would be pointed in that direction. God, that we would move in that way. And God, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for more of you in our lives and in everything we do. God, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, God, that we would stand up with faith and be the body of Christ in a culture that so desperately needs to hear and know you. And so God, we come today and ask all of that. We just pray for that, Lord. And for someone in this place today, who maybe has never responded to the message of Jesus. I pray that this would be a day. This would be the day, the God, that they never forget as they submit their lives to you even for the first time. In fact, if you are here in this moment and you have never responded to the message of Jesus, like for yourself, the, the message that he loves you and he died for you and there's forgiveness and freedom and all of that stuff, you can respond to that message even in this moment right here. And you just say, God, I give you my life. I believe in you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. 
change me. And you begin to pray that and you can do that even right now. And so God, I pray for someone in this place that needs to make that decision. Someone behind a screen right now watching that they feel you moving inside of them, Lord, that they would make that decision and God watch as you change and transform them. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful and we pray all of this in the powerful, life-changing name of Jesus. And everybody said?